Thank you so much for listening as Dr. Matthew Scraper brings us today's message. As always, please like us on Facebook at Southern Hills United Methodist Church. Also check out our website at www.shumcokc.org. The way in which we experience life's transitions varies from person to person and circumstance to circumstance. We'll all experience transitions in life. And some of those transitions will be very similar. We'll all uh, come into the world somehow. We will uh, grow up somehow. We will try to find a way to make our way in the world somehow. We will build relationships. But that'll look a little bit different for everyone. People are raised in different kinds of families. Some people around the world without one. As we make our way in the world and learn what it means to become whoever we're being called to be, we end up pursuing different vocational uh, opportunities and the training that leads to those kinds of things. And so the way in which we experience the transitions of life, though those transitions are in many ways similar, can vary from person to person, place to place, and context to context. There is a transition that most of us will share in common. And that transition is the final transition into the last phase of life. Now, don't misunderstand me. That looks a little bit different for all of us as well. Recently, you will have heard me preach uh, as we worked our way through our theme this year, which is stories of faith, and we've taken a, a slightly different focus in each month. And so in January, we took a look at uh, stories of God's healing power. In February, we took a look at stories of God's divine intervention. And, And in March, we've been taking a look at stories of comfort within that larger context of stories of faith. And so you've already heard me say this month, as we've talked about that, that death is no respecter of persons. Death doesn't respect our age, it doesn't respect our ethnicity, it doesn't respect our culture, it doesn't respect our gender. Uh, Death is not something uh, that respects our plans and our hopes for the future. Death comes for all of us. Now it does come for us, of course, in different ways. There are people who are not with us today, that we expected to be with us this year, who died suddenly, tragically. That happens sometimes, but there is also a transition that many of us will experience in a similar way as we step into the realization that the phase of life we're now stepping into is likely to be the last phase of life that we'll experience here on earth. I believe that is one of the most challenging transitions to step into. Oftentimes, you'll hear people talk about it in in varying ways. Sometimes we'll say things like, uh, you know, I'm stepping into a time when I'm having to realize that I can't do the things that I could once do. Or I can't do the things that I could once do in the way that I could once do them. It takes me longer to heal. It takes me longer to recover. I'm starting to have to to wrestle sometimes. We'll talk about wrestling with uh, different kinds of having to give up uh, different opportunities to to continue on and have the freedom that we've become accustomed to. And in giving up some of that freedom, we have to make decisions about how to do things that 
didn't require as much effort to figure out as they do now. Well, we'll talk about it in a number of ways. And the, and the reality of having to transition into uh, giving up freedoms, things becoming more difficult, things taking longer than they once did, recovery times taking longer than they once did, as we transition into all of those experiences, there is a realization that begins to set in that there's a reason this is happening. And that that reason is that we might be entering into the last phase of life. So today as we talk, uh, as we finish up this month's focus on stories of comfort and prepare for next month, which will begin with Easter Sunday next week. Next month we'll have a series of themes focused on stories of new life, stories of resurrection. But as we complete our, our series or our theme for this month talking about stories of comfort, I want to take just a few moments and share with you some things to remember as one of the greatest acts of comfort that the Holy Spirit offers comes in the form of helping us to transition in a healthy way into life's last phase. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Melt us and mold us and fill us and use us. Prepare us. Walk with us. And go before us. The Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Amen. Julie and Marlene met one another at camp as children. Both from different parts of the United States, they would come together every summer and enjoy spending some time together at camp. The camp that they went to was in, uh, just off of a beautiful lake in Maine. I had a chance to go there once. Um, there's, the lake is called Sebago Lake. You may not know this, but it is the, the deepest, other than obviously the Great Lakes, it's the deepest lake in the United States at like 330, 332 feet or something like that. Beautiful, crystal clear water that's fresh and clean and cold. It's a beautiful place, very large lake. And because it is so beautiful, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go to Maine, but it is a gorgeous state, so much of which gives you an opportunity to experience the outdoors uh, in a fabulous way. It's a beautiful place. Because of that, there are a number of camps uh, that have developed along the, the shores of this very large lake. In addition to that, there are also a number of lake houses, very much like you would experience around any lake down here in Oklahoma. Did you know, I didn't know this, until I was driving uh, on Interstate 44 from Oklahoma City to Tulsa a couple of years ago, and I saw a billboard that says that if you add up all of Oklahoma's lake coastline, we have more coastline than the entire eastern seaboard of the United States of America. I haven't fact-checked that yet, but I thought that was incredibly cool, so I brag about it all the time now to my out-of-state friends. This lake was just gorgeous. And because of that, you know, people would, would uh, build lake homes and camps developed. It was at one of those camps that Marlene and Julie met each other for the first time. They would grow together, becoming uh, first pen pals when they were not together at camp, and then they would talk on the phone um, all of the time because they, they grew to love one another. But they, would always, they would always come together at camp every year, renewing their bonds of friendship, getting to know one another, growing over time, until they both ended up 
uh, graduating from high school and going to college to pursue their individual dreams. Julie was going to go uh, be a psychologist. Um, Marlene was going to go work to be a structural engineer. And so they both ended up in different programs again. Both of them would end up going to graduate school. But even though, even though they had aged out of the time uh, when they could go to camp together, they would still go back to that lake every summer for a couple of weeks and spend some time in a lake house that one of their parents had owned on, on the lake. Reconnecting, having a good time. There was a, a, a dock that led out uh, to a pier that overlooked the water where they could launch boats from, but they would keep two chairs out on the pier, and they would go out there in the mornings and watch the sunrise with a cup of coffee. They would go out there in the evening and watch the sun set over the lake, just beautiful views and a great opportunity for them to reconnect. That became their tradition. It would come as a surprise when Julie was diagnosed with ALS. ALS is also known as Lou Gehrig's disease and is a disease that attacks the central nervous system. The prognosis for ALS is a difficult one. Most people, once diagnosed, have about two to five years. A few, like Stephen Hawking, will live for a very long time after that, but that's a rare occurrence. Most people, when they uh, are diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, tend to have about two to five years after the diagnosis. And so uh, this was going to be the case for Julie. They were not predicting that she would live much longer than three years. And so when she was diagnosed with this, came as a shock. They were both relatively young. They both had families. They were both uh, kind of growing into what it meant to live into their careers, their professions, into adulthood. Uh, they were trying to work to get their families together. And so every summer they would try to bring their families out to the lake house together. And then the diagnosis came down that Julie was going to have uh, ALS, that she had ALS, and her prognosis was not very good. So she began to struggle a little bit. In the midst of that, they would still continue to maintain their friendship. They would talk on the phone. They would write letters. For a couple of those years, they would meet back at the lake house. This time, just the two of them, no families. The first of those meetings at the lake house, after Julie's diagnosis, they began to process what the future was going to look like for her. She was struggling to wrap her mind around the fact that she had just stepped into what was for her the last phase of her life, and it was far, far earlier than she had ever expected it was going to be. It was much sooner than she thought she was going to have to do that. And so she was struggling with that. What did it mean for her family? What did it mean for the hopes and the dreams that she had? She was struggling to process it and going through the stages of grief. And Marlene sat with her, processing those feelings and emotions together in the two chairs that they shared out on a pier overlooking the lake. Second year, after Julie's diagnosis, they would come back again. They would meet just the two of them at the lake house. By now, while Julie was still struggling and still grieving, she had also come to make some peace with the phase of life she had stepped into. So their conversation changed. They talked more, a lot more about uh, God and faith and uh, what would come next for Julie. They also talked about her fears of not having walked through this transition before. 
Julie began to talk about the things she wanted to do, and particularly the, the things she wanted to say and the people she wanted to say them to while she had time to do that. And they talked about what life would look like for whatever amount of time Julie had left, they talked about what life was going to look like in that time. Julie was fond of quoting a, a phrase from a well-known movie. She would say over and over, I'm not dead yet, I'm not dead yet. And they would talk about uh, what, what life was going to look like for however much time she had. She knew she didn't have much, but she had no idea how much it was. The third year after her diagnosis wouldn't come around. Marlene was on a work trip when she was notified of Julie's passing. She came back home and ended up having to choose between Julie's memorial service and going to help another family member who had developed a critical health condition very rapidly. Terrible circumstance to be in. She wanted to be there for her friend. Couldn't imagine not being there for her memorial service. She had passed away a little bit quicker, a little bit more quickly than uh, Marlene and Julie or any of them had anticipated. So even though it was expected, it came as a surprise. That is almost always the case. No matter how much we expect it, it still comes as a surprise. So she was already grieving over the fact that she hadn't been able to be there with her friend when her friend passed away. And now the memorial service was happening at really the only time it could happen in order to get all of the family there as much as possible. But she had had another family member in a different state develop a serious uh, critical health condition. And so Marlene had to choose between going to, to Julie's memorial service and going to help her, her family member who really needed some help. Marlene was the only person who could do it. And she knew in her heart exactly what Julie would have wanted her to do. She knew what Julie would have wanted her to do, and she knew where Julie would have wanted her to spend her time remembering her. So she sent her condolences and went off to help her family member. A few weeks later, after giving the help that was very much needed, she made her way back to the cabin first day there was terribly difficult. She couldn't even get herself to go down and sit in the chairs on the pier. She looked at them from the back uh, screen and porch just off the back side of the house, but she couldn't walk down there. She made herself a meal, and when she sat down, she couldn't make herself eat it. That house had always been so full of laughter so full of conversation, so full of life. Even when they would sit there sometimes at night after the sun went down reading together, there was still so much life and love shared between the two of them and their friendship that to be there and to be alone, she knew was right. She knew that if Julie had a could ask her to go and grieve her in a place, it would be at that place. She knew she was at the right place, but being at the right place made the process of grieving that much more difficult to bear. And so that night she would go to bed. fitfully sleeping, she would have a dream. And in that dream, she would see her friend Julie there, looking very much like she did when they were young, 
walking, jumping, running, laughing. You know, the scriptures are full of stories of God's messengers speaking to God's people in the form of a dream. It was so common and it was so well respected during the the entire period, very lengthy period in which the Old and New Testaments were written, that the writers of the Old and the New Testaments never felt any need to uh, explain or justify the fact that someone had been spoken to in a dream. It was just universally accepted that it was a valid way for God to speak to God's people. So there Marlene is, fitfully sleeping, having a dream about her friend in which her friend looks very much like she did when they were younger. The only thing her friend would say, in the midst of that dream, her friend would look at her. You know, dreams are kind of strange, right? You'll be in a a place that you don't recognize, but in the dream you know where it is or something. Dreams are just strange that way. So in the midst of the dream, uh, Julie didn't didn't look at, at Marlene at all except for one point in the dream, right before she disappeared. She made eye contact in the dream with Marlene and said, death is not the end. Where we go to next is beautiful. Marlene woke up immediately. The second day was a little bit better. She made her way down to the pier. Not for morning coffee, but by the time the sun was going down, she'd worked up the courage to go down there. She sat in her chair, watching the sun go down in complete silence. When the next day rolled around, she made it down there for morning coffee. She brewed a pot of coffee. She took a cup down there with her. But instead of sitting in her chair, she sat in Julie's chair. And while she was sitting there, she had the most random thought occur to her. Strange that way, you'll be uh, grieving. A couple of things will happen sometimes when you're going through a grief process. One of them is that the world will sometimes kind of just really slow down. Also, you'll have the most random thoughts occur. So she's sitting there in her friend's chair, and she just randomly realizes that she hasn't checked the mail for the lake house the whole time she's been there. And it's been a while since she'd been back, so she assumed it was probably just overflowing out of the mailbox. So she finishes her cup of coffee. She goes out to the mailbox, and sure enough, it's overflowing. So she grabs this whole stack of mail, walks back into the kitchen of the lake house, puts it on the table, looking at it, not really wanting to sort through any of it, when she sees a letter in in the uh, stack that's handwritten and addressed to her, and it comes from the church where Julie's memorial service was held. She opens up the, the envelope, and there's a note inside folded, she opens that, and it's from the minister of the church, says, no, you had to miss this and didn't want to and thought you would really like to have a copy of the program from the service, praying for you. She takes the program out. Hadn't seen it. Wasn't a part of putting it together. Reads through it, sees a you know, beautiful picture of her friend right there on the front. Opens it up and sees the 23rd Psalm on the inside and the order of service, and then the, the obituary is in there, so she gets to read about her friend's life. And she turns it over, and there's a poem on the back. She kind of starts to glance through it, and then she gets to the end, the very last line. It says, death is not the end. Where we go to next is beautiful. Sometimes the greatest comfort that the Holy Spirit offers comes in the form of helping us to process 
what it means to step into life's final phase. This week we celebrate the passion. If you've never heard that word, if you're new to the faith, when we use the word passion in the context of Holy Week and the crucifixion, we're talking about the suffering of Christ. So this is a week where we remember the suffering of Christ and the crucifixion. And a week from today, we remember the resurrection, the moment in which Christ conquers sin and death. We know that when we talk about stepping into the last phase of life, that it's not the last phase of life. I read a book once by somebody who was not Christian and was very much critiquing Christians about the way that we do the things that we do. It's a good book, and I enjoy reading those kinds of perspectives because they make me think. But one of the things this person said, particularly about our funerals, was I don't know why Christians are always so upset at funerals. Based on what they profess, they should all be happy every time they go to a funeral. And I read this, and I thought, you just you don't get it. We're not grieving, particularly in a funeral or memorial service. We're not grieving because we don't think we'll ever see them again. That's not why we're grieving. We're grieving because we know it'll be a little while until we do. We know that the last phase, when we talk about stepping into the last phase of life, we know it's not the last phase of life because we know that there is something beyond this. Christ said, I I go to my Father's house and I will prepare a place for you. In my Father's house there are many rooms. I'm going to create a place just for you. And I'm also not going to leave you where you are. I will come back and I will get you and I will take you to where I am. We know that this is not the end. But it is also a transition that we have not walked through or moved past. It's a transition that finds us in another place. The Apostle Paul says we will not all die, but we will all be changed, right? We will not all die, but we will. This, this perishable body must put on imperishability. This mortal body must put on immortality. We know that there is another way that we live after this. We also know that when we go to that place, stories of near-death experiences notwithstanding, we don't come back. So we don't have all the stories. One of the transitions I went through was learning how to drive a car. I wish I, I thought I was prepared for it. I really did. Dad um, had a, a Jeep Cherokee Laredo. This is in the 1990s. Dad had a Jeep Cherokee Laredo, and uh, we lived not too far from the church where he served. Now, the church had a parking lot. It wasn't an enormous parking lot, but it had a parking lot. And so Dad uh, says, Matt, today's the day. We're going to go and we're going to start learning how to drive. I was 14 years old in the state of Kansas. You can get your learner's permit at 14. becomes a restricted at 15. Uh, turns into a license at 16. So uh, I'm learning how to drive. I've got my learner's permit. Super excited about it. Dad says, okay, we're going to go up. We're going to go to the, the church parking lot. I'm going to teach you how to drive. We get there, and I think I'm prepared. Like, I've been paying attention. Dad's been talking to me about things. We switch seats. I get in the driver's seat. Dad gets in the passenger seat. Dad's like, Matt, I, uh, I just want you to go ahead and take it up to about 20 miles an hour. I'm like, okay, I can do that. So I, I start driving, and I put my foot on the, the gas, and I start taking it up, and it's, it's not the, the needle 
on the dash is not wanting to stay where it should. Like I'm having to keep pressing the gas in order to get the needle to stay. That's really finicky. And I'm starting to wonder if there's something wrong with the car. Well, my dad is saying, Matt, you're going kind of fast. And I'm like, Dad, I can't even keep it where you're telling me to keep it. And Dad's like, Matt, you're going kind of fast. Not a big parking lot, right? And so finally, Dad's like, Matt, stop the car. So I stop the car. And Dad's like, what are you, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you told me to keep it at 20. I was trying to keep it at 20. It's like, Matt, you were going almost 45 miles an hour in the parking lot. I said, no, it wasn't. He said, yeah, you were. And then he stopped for a minute. He said, Matt, were you looking at the speedometer or the tachometer? And I said, what's a tachometer? I thought I was prepared for that transition. And even in the midst of that, I had somebody there with me who had gone through it. My dad had learned how to drive. My mom had learned how to drive. My older sister had learned how to drive. And they were able to tell me about that experience of going through that life transition. My dad had all the funny stories from when he learned how to drive. His father warned him. Did you know this, that when you look in the rearview mirror, it'll look like the person behind you is in the wrong seat? Right? His dad warned him of that. He did it anyway. Thought there was no one driving the car behind him. Freaked out. Drove into a ditch. My dad had all the funny stories about driving because he'd been through that transition. And he was there with me. And he was able to talk about it. Here's the thing. With this transition... When we go through that transition, we stay there. We don't have all the stories. We don't have the people standing right next to us, walking through that transition with us, telling us what to expect, telling us how it feels. Save for one. So remember this. As you contemplate what it means to step into the last phase of your life here, and that will come at a different time for us, for all of us. For some of us, it'll come much earlier than we think. For some of us, it will come in a different way that we think, uh, than we think. For all of us, it will come sooner than we wanted. So as you contemplate that, I'm going to ask you to remember just three very simple things. And the first of them is, it's okay to be afraid. You're not afraid because you don't know where you're going. You're not afraid because you don't think there's something else after this. The scriptures are clear about that. Our faith is clear about that. The teachings of our faith are very clear. We're not afraid because we think that this is the end. We're afraid because we haven't walked through this transition just yet. So we don't know what to expect. It's okay to be afraid. You're afraid because you haven't experienced it yet. Take heart in this. The scriptures reflect the teachings of Jesus. And strictly speaking, not just the teachings, but the example. The example of Christ is a powerful gift God gave us to help us to understand what it means to live in relationship with God. Never take it for granted. The teachings of Christ also give us an opportunity to learn not only how to live into that life, but to know what we can expect about what is to come. What does Jesus say? Don't worry. There's a door you're going to walk through. We talked a lot last year about change, about how sometimes we're forced to walk through the doors of life. Sometimes those doors that represent the, the major transition points of life, they're doors that we see coming. We know they're coming. I knew I was going to learn how to drive a car. That was coming. I can see it coming. There are other doors that drop in front of us unexpectedly, and we have to walk through them whether we want to or not. Much of last year, in so many ways, was one of those doors. 
We're not afraid because we don't think there's anything on the other side of the door. We're afraid because we haven't been there yet. And there's nobody. There's nobody that's been there that is here to walk through that transition with us. Say, here's how you open the door. Here's how you step through it. Here's what it feels on the, like on the other side. Nobody save one. And that one, the same one who said, I will never abandon, nor will I forsake you. The same one who said, wherever two or more of you gather, there I will be present. The same one who said, I will always be with you even until the very end of the age. That one who promises never to abandon and never forsake you is the same one who said, I know you don't know what to expect. Here's what you can take heart in. That one says, I'm already there. I'm already on the other side of that door preparing a place for you. And when that day comes, Jesus says, I will not leave you stranded. I will come back and I will get you and I will take you to the place I have prepared. It is all right to be afraid. But take heart that the Lord and Savior that you follow, that I follow, has said that he is already there on the other side, preparing the way. Also remember that it's okay to prepare. It's all right to prepare. Part of preparing involves grieving. Giving up freedoms is hard. Having to make life changes sooner than you wanted is hard, and it's always sooner than you want. It's okay to grieve. It's also okay to prepare. Sitting in year number two after being diagnosed out on the pier with her friend, Julie began to talk about not only what she wanted to say while she had time to say it, but the people to whom she wanted to say the things that would heal. It's all right to prepare. You have time. Say things that heal to the people that you will have wanted to have heard them when you are on the other side of that door. Say those things because they'll matter. Do those things because they'll matter, and not just to you, although they will. They'll matter to the people who will treasure that for the rest of their lives and up until they see you again. One of the things that I've preached about some recently that I think is incredibly important is that it is time for us to do away with that old, untrue belief that if you tell people you love them too often, it, it loses its meaning. Oh, I don't, I, or we'll say that or we'll say, oh, pastor, no, I don't want to tell people I love them. I want to show them I love them. You know, those two things are not mutually exclusive of one another. You can show people you love them and also tell them that you love them. There is someone who wants desperately to hear the words from you that will heal. Share them. It's worth doing that. When you tell someone that you love them a lot, it doesn't diminish the weight of it. It helps them to know that they are. It's okay to prepare. Say the things that heal to the people that you can help to heal. And let yourself grieve. Because grieving is healthy. Also remember this. It's also okay to live. Because it's most likely not today. 
I saw a meme once, um, one of those pictures that circulates on social media, and it said, you know what? You have survived to this point 100% of the most difficult days of your life. You've got this. There's something like, I uh, looked it up a week or two ago, like 23,000 days is the average lifespan of a person in the United States of America. So I think it was 23,557 days. That's very specific, but 23,557 days is what I remember looking up. That, that is the average lifespan of a person in the United States. Now that's an average lifespan, right? Listen to this. That means that there is a one in 23,557 chance that today is the day. There is a 23,556 out of 23,557 chance that it's not. Live the life you've been given to live. It's all right to live. It's all right to live because God is not finished with you yet. Sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking that God's plan for us only consisted of this like one thing. You know, sometimes in the United States, we over-identify vocation and calling. Now, it's a good thing to seek out what God is calling you to do as a vocation, if that's possible. But calling and vocation are not the same thing. God's call for you is dynamic. It's not static. What does that mean? God did not only ever have one thing that you were going to be able to do in life to find meaning, hope, happiness, health, love, and friendship. That calling is dynamic. It's based upon where you are, who you are today. God has a plan for you today, just like Julie, for however long you have left. Whether that be decades or days, God has a plan for you today, so live the life you have. Seek out opportunity for relationship, love, happiness, healing, health. Because the life you have been given to live, for however long we live it, is incredibly precious worth not wasting. As Julie said, while it's okay to be afraid, it's okay to be afraid because you haven't walked through that transition yet. While it's okay to prepare and save the things that heal, you're not dead yet. Live today. Live today. Love today, our purpose here is to share the love of Jesus Christ. So if you're looking for something to do, I have just the thing. I've been telling everybody to do this. If you're looking for something to do, you're like, you know, sharing the love of Jesus Christ, maybe I don't know all the things I could start doing today. I want to I live the life I have to live. I want to find out what God's call is for me today and for whatever amount of time I have left, whatever amount of time I have left with the people that I love and want to share life with, but I don't know where to begin. Begin with sharing the love of Christ. Here's how you do that. Do one thing each day to share the love of Christ with one person. Here's what you will find. Your group of friends will grow. The way you feel about the world and other people and yourself will improve. You'll wake up in the morning after you start reminding yourself to do that. It's easy to do. Get up in the morning. Ask God to help you to be aware of the moment in which the Holy Spirit is going to nudge you to do one thing, to share the love of Christ with one person. 
And the more you do that, the more frequently you're going to wake up in the morning and look forward to the opportunities that you have to do that. And when you get to that point, that's when the Holy Spirit will say, you know, Matt, we could do two things today. Share the love of Christ. Do it in a way that's non-coercive, non-judgmental. Share the love of Christ. And you'll be surprised at what the rest of your days begin to look like. Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful for the ways in which you walk with us through all of life's transitions, but particularly through this one. It's a transition that's hard to talk about because it's a transition that's hard to think about. And yet it's such a beautiful phase of life to step into because it is a phase of life that is for us the phase that is just on the cusp of eternity. Help us, God, to take heart in the fact that you're there on the other side of that door preparing a way for us, preparing a room for us, and that you won't abandon us. When that day comes, you'll come and you'll get us and you'll take us to the place you have prepared. Give us the courage to not only say the things that heal, to do the things that heal, but to live the life you've given us to live. I, ask, I pray, God, this morning for those people who have recently received news that's causing them to have to wrestle with the fact that this probably is their last phase of life here. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would be felt in their hearts, that you would descend upon them and wrap them in your arms, help them to grieve in a healthy way, to prepare in a healthy way, to let their fears rest in you. For all of us, every single one of us, who hear your words and think to ourselves, you know, I don't know how much time I have left but I sure would absolutely love it if I could step into a new kind of life in a new way for every single day that I have left. You know, it doesn't sound too bad to spend however many days I have left sharing the love of Christ with anybody, everybody. Maybe, just maybe, if more of us do that, the quality of life for everybody while we're here will be better. So we ask and offer in your holy name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please join us again next week. Thank you.